This podcast is brought to you by jewishpodcasts.org. Start your very own podcast today at jewishpodcasts.org. Okay, welcome. We're trying this year something a little different. We're going to have the Shabbos Hagodol Drasha before Shabbos. We're going to try to uh, send out a recording. This way, those of you that are uh, busy and uh, taking care of uh, Pesach preparations, getting things done, you're able to listen to the shir while taking care of other things at home in this way, hopefully making your Pesach preparation a little easier than it could be. We find ourselves right now, as we mentioned before, really in the pre-Pesach prep. The shopping, the cooking, the cleaning, the worrying. That's where we find ourselves right now. That's predominantly that the focus on many of our minds right now is making Pesach, getting Pesach ready, being ready for this amazing Yom Tov of Pesach. But I think we have to stop a second and realize that's not exactly the season that we're in right now. Of course, physically, that's where we are right now, and that is on the front and front and center of all our thoughts in, in our mind. But there's something else that's going on here as well. We're right now in the season of miracles. What does it mean, the season of miracles? Chazal tells in Masechus Megillah that when there's two Adars that happens every couple of years, the question arises, in which Ador should we read the Megillah? So the Gemara says, Shimon Magam Leo writes, you should read the, read the Megillah story in the second Adar. Why? To have one Geula next to another Geula. To have the Gula, the reading of the Purim story, the celebration of the Purim story, next to the month of Nisan, which is the celebration of Pesach. What exactly is the connection between the Geula of Mitzrayim and the Geula of Purim? If anything, I would look at these two holidays being opposites. Purim is, you can eat what you want, you can do what you want, it's completely, almost let loose type of a yomtif. Very few restrictions. And Pesach is the exact opposite. So many laws, so many things we can't do, so many things we can't eat, so many places we don't go and, and we don't eat by other people's house, and Purim is all about other people. So how exactly is there a connection between these two miracles? And the answer is, is that the miracle of Purim and the miracle of Pesach are two opposite elements, but come together as one. The Yom Tif of Purim was the Yom Tif of what's called Hester Panim. You looked around the Purim story, it was almost hard to find where Hashem was in the Purim story. We know Hashem's name wasn't even in the Megillah, because the Purim story, Hashem was, so to say, behind the scenes. He didn't make it outwardly that He was making and, and saving the world. But as we know, as God-believing Jews, of course He was. But Hashem structured the story of Purim in a Hester Panim, where Hashem was hidden. The exact opposite happened over Pesach. Pesach was Hashem made it very clear to everyone, through the Ten Makas, through Kriyas Yamsuf, through Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, He made it very clear that He is very much running the show. Open miracles. So Purim was closed miracles, nature, teva. While Pesach was open, nigla miracles. And the connection that we have to remind ourselves with is that we have to realize that not always do we merit to see open miracles. Very rarely are we lucky enough to see open miracles. And very rarely do we see any miracles that like, that, like, like that took place at Mitzrayim. But we have to realize there are so many hidden miracles in our life that we need to be appreciative for. So many little things that happen on a daily basis. 
We need to realize and say that's also a miracle. The fact that a person can walk, the fact that a person can breathe, the fact that a person can eat, these are all miracles. And the way I know they're miracles because not everyone unfortunately has them. And it makes us realize even more so how blessed we are and how lucky we are and how appreciative we should be to Hashem for what He gives us. So sometimes we lose sight of what's a miracle also. So Hashem made these two Yom Tovim back to back to remind us that they're both miracles. And Hashem only performs massive miracles like Yitzhiya's Mitzrayim to remind us that He can do and He does all the other miracles in our life. And it's something we should think about this time of the year. Yes, we're busy. Yes, we're stressed. Yes, we're worried. But let's stop and think about all the little things in our life that are miracles. Our health. Our ability to do certain activities. The little things in life are miracles upon miracles. And it's a great time to stop and think and realize and be appreciative for the miracles in our life. Because there are people that are not as lucky. And they don't have some of the abilities that we have. And this gives us a chance to realize and to remind ourselves about the wonderful, wonderful things that Kodesh Baruch Hu gives us. And even when things look very bleak and things look sad and things look depressing, we look at the positive, we look at the upbeat attitude. We always think that Kodesh Baruch Hu gives us so much. Certain things we just take for granted. Babies are born, we take for granted a miracle childbirth is. It's a miracle. So many things could go wrong in this child's development. Eating, everything is a miracle. We, don't, we just take it for granted. We don't stop and think how everything is a miracle from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That's one very important element we should think about as we're getting ready for the Yom Tov of Pesach. That the open miracles were merely a reminder that Hashem performs many miracles on a daily basis. But at the end of the day, sometimes it's hard. We, live, we are living in very dark times. There is no endless stories of tsaris. There's no, there's, there is no shortage of heartbreak. The, the stories that we know of and we see, we live in a world today of social media where we see up close and personal stories that just tear at your heart. What do we do now? Yes, we're grateful that we're not as bad off as that person. But how? Where do we get the strength to pull ourselves together? To push ourselves? To reach and to see Yad Hashem even in the most bleakest of times? And the answer is, is that this is the specialty of the Noshim Sitkanis of our generation. Chazal tell us, the Gemara and Saita, that when we talk about the Yom Tov of Pesach, we cannot lose sight over perhaps one of the most important roles that took place in the story of Pesach. Chazal tells, In the merit of the righteous women of that generation, the Jewish people were redeemed from its rhyme. What was that? What was that specialty women of that time? So if you look up at the Gemara, the Gemara tells us, amazing. The Gemara tells us that the Jewish men were working back-breaking labor day after day in Mitzrayim. And they had very little interest. They were so tired. They are so wiped. They had very little interest to procreate, to have more children. They even had very little reason to have children. Why have more children to just to be born into slavery? It doesn't even make sense. Amram himself, the god Lador, divorced his wife with that premise. 
And the women of that generation said, No! Yes, it's bleak. Yes, it's difficult. But we're going to get out of this. There's good here. Don't worry. And the women pushed themselves to ensure that the generation of Klaiswell will continue. And they built Jewish homes. And they continued Klai Yisrael's growth amidst the darkest and the saddest of times. They encouraged their husband, they convinced their husbands that it's not as bad as it looks. Although it looks very bad and it looks very bleak, it's not. And this attitude of the Noshim Tzitkani is applied again to the Chet Egel. When Moshe Rabbeinu seemed to have died and left the Jewish people without a leader and the men were lost, they didn't know what to do. They decided an eagle is the best option. And they came again, the women, and they said, No, this is not the best option. This is wrong. This too, although it looks depressing, it looks sad, this too will improve. Trust me, Moshe Rabbeinu will come back. This attitude of the Noshim Tzitkanis is an attitude of it's not as bad as you think. When they see a, a, a sad situation, they have the Amun Pshuta, the simplest level of trust in Hashem that it's not as bad as it looks. And by doing so, they're able to push and convince those around them to fight through this Nesoyan and to strengthen their Amuna. This was true during the, the Pesach story and this was true during the Holocaust. The Sri Deesha Bechirak of Weinberg says that he remembers in the Warsaw Ghetto. He said he was amazed to see women pregnant having babies in the Warsaw Ghetto. Can you imagine having a baby being pregnant in the Warsaw Ghetto? Not knowing tomorrow who's going to live and who's going to die? And he explained why did the women do this? What were they thinking? You had to be crazy to have a baby in the Warsaw Ghetto. And he said the women justified it. And they explained it based on the story of Pesach. They said if the women at that time felt it's right to have children amidst the the pain and suffering of slavery, then we too are going to have children during this time in the ghetto. That emuna, that level that the women have is remarkable. That comes from a very deep-rooted connection to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. That comes from a very, very real, tangible feeling of Yad Hashem in their life. And that happened, that came about in the Pesach story. And that repeats itself, Bechol, Dor, Vodor, every generation. This amazing kayak that the women have, the Noshim Sitkanis of our generation, to be able to push through the most difficult of situations and not see negativity and only see positivity. And see a situation and say it's not as bad as it looks. To see a difficult time and say this too will pass. It's something remarkable and something we can only praise our Noshim Sitkanis. I've said this many times at the time and I'll say it again. I believe strongly. That the only way we as a nation, we as a people got through COVID was B'schus Noshim Tzidkanis. They were able to manage all that needed to be managed at a very difficult time, at a time where people were getting sick and people were worried and people were nervous and schools were closed and we were all locked in our homes. They were and they are the reason I believe strongly that we got through that very difficult parasha in our lives. And now we can look back and say it was Taka B'schus Noshim Tzidkanis. They made it work. They were manning the computers and the phones and schedules and the kids and, and making Pesach and, and, and recipes and cooking. They did it all. But more than anything, I believe they kept the calm. They kept everyone in check. They reminded everyone, this too will pass. We'll get through this. Hashem is with us. 
And that is the Kayach that we find in the story of Pesach. My wife pointed out to me, showed me a story, an amazing story, about a woman who lives amongst us. Relatively young woman. Her name is Shana Rodin. And you can read and watch her story better than I can ever say it. But I'm just going to mention it B'Kitzah because I got such an amazing chizuk. And she brings out this point of what Chazal are telling us. This is a woman who had, who has two healthy children, found that she was pregnant with a third child and that child had a massive neck mass on his neck, on the baby's neck. All the doctors said, based on the original testing, they all suggested she should abort. Many Rabbanim suggested as well. But she sought out the eighth of her, Rabbi Schlesinger from Muncie, big Talmud Chacham, and he told her, don't worry, you'll have, you'll have Yeshua Hashem, don't worry, you'll have Atzlacha, don't abort, continue on. And she fought during her pregnancy with many doctors who did not agree with her choice, did not think she was making the best choice, they thought she should have aborted way on, way earlier on, but she pushed till the ninth month and ultimately to delivery, and she tells her story. It's a remarkable story, it's about 17 minutes long. My wife told it over to me, it was really amazing where she basically says that when the baby was born, they bit the baby, they put the baby on her stomach and said, we're not touching this baby because as far as we're concerned, this baby's going to die. And we don't want to have anything to do with it. And she says while she was holding the baby in her, on her lap, on her stomach, she closed her eyes and she said, Hashem, I am turning only to you. Because no one else can help me, no one else can save me. It's only you. The doctors gave up. It's only you, HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And she did something which Chazal tell us is so important, she cried. Because the tears of Jewish women have an unbelievable power in the Kisei HaKavad. And she cried and she begged Hashem, please save my baby. This baby did not stand a chance on any medical level to live. They said the baby will die after 10 minutes. They said this baby will come out deformed with a face that was eaten by a cancer. And she never gave hope. She never gave up. She never lost hope. She davened, she davened, she said herself, she connected to Hashem in a way she never connected before. And she never lost her emuna. And the baby was born. The baby was put on her. And 10 minutes later, the baby did not die. The baby did not turn blue as they anticipated. But rather, the baby continued to breathe and she was able to call one of the doctors who finally agreed to come and take over her case. And her baby right now still needs a refuah shalema, but is on the right path. This girl, this woman who lives among us today, she is the what Chazal meant when they talked about Noshim Sitkanas who don't give up. They don't see negativity. They don't see despair. They see everything is beyond Hashem. Hashem can do it. Hashem can make it happen. This woman is an amazing chizuk. She's an amazing source of inspiration for all of those listening. But she brings home the point and the message. The Muna is going to come from the Noshim Sitkanias. They have you you have it in your DNA, this ability, capability to see good when there's bad, to see hope when there's despair, to be mechazik others when all have given up. That's the Kayach of Noshim Sitkanias. And we're living in a time where it's harder and harder and harder to push through the difficult times. The tsaris, the pain, the anguish, the stories, they're endless. It's almost hard to open up 
you know, a yeshiva world or a Jewish newspaper, Nazi stories that just, just break your heart. But there's something positive that we have to take away. We know we're holding now in the ikvis of the Meshicha. What's the ikvis of the Meshicha? So they compare it, Chazal compare it to delivering a baby. You know, when a baby, when you get to in, into closer to delivery, the contractions get much closer and closer. So the pain is more frequent. But it means short, shortly and soon there'll be the birth. Here also, the tsarists are getting closer and closer. It's a couple of days apart. We get, we get one tsar and a few days later we get another tsara. That just means that we're getting closer and closer to the gu'ula. Just like the contractions get closer and closer, it means the baby's ready to come. That's what we're holding right now. We're getting closer and closer. We're ready to see the gu'ula. But something is unique about the Lel Pesach that we need to think about. And I urge all of you listening here, all you Nashim Tzitkanias, that this is something that you really could bring home to your Siddharim, wherever you may be. With your children, your grandchildren, your great-grandchildren, friends, family, it doesn't matter. You can infuse into the Seder this idea and you can change the lives of those around you. What happens on Lel Pesach is something unique. The Aruch HaShulchan points out in his commentary to Elchaz Pesach, he says, why is the month of Nisan such a special month? We know in the Jewish calendar, Tishrei is technically the first month of the new year. Yet we know when we calculate months, Nisan is month number one. Why? Why is Nisan month number one? Secondly, asked the Aruch HaShulchan, we know Chazal tell us, Nisim Asidim Ligal, we're eventually going to have the Gula in Nisan. Why? Just because we had the first Gula in Nisan? What's this big hopla behind the month of Nisan? And the Rechashokhan explains something which is so fundamental and basic for our lives. He explains that the Mitzrayim, although we're already getting beaten by the Makis, one after the other, they did not yet give in. They did not yet give up hope on defeating Kaviochla Kodesh Baruchu. They actually said, on the contrary, the month of Nisan is coming. The month of Nisan was the month of their Avoidizara, the Mazel, the zodiac, so to say, of their Avoidizara was Nisan, the sheep. So the Mitzrayim said to themselves, okay, let, let Hashem smack us around a little bit. But once we get to Nisan, oh, it's going to be different. Because once we get to Nisan, that's our God. That's our Avoidizara. We're going to show him who's, who's the real leader. Writes to Aruch HaShulchan, and what happened in Nisan? The Mitzrayim got the ultimate punishment. They had Yitzhiyas Mitzrayim, Makas Bechayris, and ultimately Kriyas Yamsuf. Writes to Aruch HaShulchan, the month of Nisan was the month where the world realized, Ein Oid Milvadri. There is no one else besides Rakadish Baruch Hu. It's not a mazel, it's not a tle, it's not a sheep, it's not a god, it's not an army, it's not a country. Nobody, nothing. It's only HaKadosh Baruch And that's Emunah Pshuta. Emunah Pshuta means that I believe and I know no one else can change my life besides HaKadosh Baruch My boss, yeah, he can cut my salary, he can fire me, but it's not him. He's an agent of HaKadosh Baruch A real ma'amin, a real believer knows that everything is controlled by Enoid Mulevadeh, just HaKadosh Baruch Everything else is just his messengers. And that's what's special about the month of Nisan. The month of Nisan was the month when the Jewish people realized and the world realized 
There is no one else besides Vakadish Baruchu. No one else, nothing else can change my life besides Vakadish Baruchu. It's not a doctor. It's not a lawyer. It's not a policeman. It's not an army. Not a country. Not a president. It's a Kaddish Baruch Hu. And that's what Pesach is about. Pesach was when the Jewish people in Mitzrayim realized they're not getting out of here. Who's taking them out of slavery? There was no Abraham Lincoln. There were no groups gathering together, picketing, free the Jews, save the Jews. None of that. The Jews realize the only way they're getting out is from HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And that's what we remind ourselves every year at Pesach. And at the Pesach Seder. We let go of everything else and we say to HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I know it's all you. I know and I believe and I feel it. That everything that's going to happen in my life and has happened is from you. No one else. I mentioned in the shul, Lelium Kippur before Kol Nidre, this amazing idea from Chaim Vital. It changed my life. And I hope it will change yours as well. Chaim Vital, the famed student of the Arizal, writes something so, so powerful. We say every day in Aleinu, three times a day we say Aleinu. And what do we say in the Aleinu? We say, Ki Hashem Hashem bitachas. Ein oit. There is no one else. V'alkein, therefore, Hashem, we turn to you. Said Reb Chaim Vital, if you're in a situation in your life where you are beyond help, nothing can help you. You're stuck. No one, it's not a human being that's going to save you. You are in a bad place. You need a Yeshua. Write Reb Chaim Vital when you say those words, have this in mind. Ki Hashem, Hashem Ein oid. Say Hashem, it's all you. I'm throwing this problem to you because only you can save it. Because I know only you can fix it. Said Reb Chaim Vital, if you do that, it's a school that you'll see Yeshua. It will change your Aleinu, it will change your day, it will change your davening. Every time you say those words, realize that me mechaven, Hashem, I'm in, a, I'm in a pickle. Hashem, and I'm, I'm in a predicament that no one can help me. Whether it be health, finance, shidduchim. I'm stuck, Hashem, get me out of here. Said Reb Chaim Vital, have in mind those words. Because no one else can help me, Hashem, that's why I turn to you. The moment we cut out the in-between people and we focus directly on HaKadosh Baruch Hu, that's when we see Yeshua. That's when we see amazing salvation. I'll show you through an amazing story I came across. There were these two girls in their 20s in Eretz Yisrael in the, in the Shaduchim Parsha. And they were visiting in a nursing home in Eretz Yisrael and they were discussing the fact that they want to go to Amuka to go daven for a shidduch. And one of the older, one of the women who lived in that nursing home in her 80s, she said, oh, you're going? I want to come also. And the two younger girls looked at her and, you know, they kind of had this feeling of, really? You're in your 80s. You were never married. You really think now is the time to get a shidduch? And they kind of tried to persuade her not to come. They said, listen, you know, it's going to be a tough trip. It's a long ride. We're going to have to walk. And this 80-plus woman who was never married before said, no, I want to go. So they went, road trip. These two girls in their 20s and this woman in her 80s travel and they go and they daven. And they spend time davening. And they part ways. 
A few months later, these girls were curious to see how this woman was doing. So they went back to the nursing home to see her. And they went to the front desk and they asked, we'd like to see Miss So-and-so. And the, and the front desk said, I'm sorry, she's no longer here. So usually in a nursing home, when you hear those words, it means she has passed away. She's no longer in this world. But the, the, the receptionist, the secretary said, no, she moved to B'nai Brak. They said, what do you mean she moved to B'nai Brak? She got married. Finally, in her 80s, for the first time. This woman got married and now she lives in B'nai Brak. These girls were enamored. They were shocked. They couldn't believe it. They wanted to go see her. So they went to B'nai Brak. They got her address and they went to see her. And they come and they talk to her and she says to them like this. Do you want to know why my tefillahs were answered and yours weren't answered? So the girl said, of course. We can't imagine. You're, we're in our 20s. You're in your 80s. How did this happen? And the woman said something so profound. She said, because when I davened for a shidduch, I knew it's only going to come from Hashem. No shatchanam are running after me. No one's thinking of me for shidduchim. I'm in my 80s. No other human being is going to be involved in my life. This is going to come from one and only HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When you daven, you thought to yourself, yeah, Hashem, but maybe I'll meet someone, a shatchan, someone, a friend. You involved human beings. I involved only HaKadosh Baruch Hu. When a yid and a person lives with Ein Oy Mulvade in their life, they see unbelievable Yeshua's. The problem is we always get caught up with the in-between people. The Emtsoyim. We lose sight of it comes from Hashem. And our tefillahs are not the same. When we dive in with the mindset it's all from Hashem, and only you Hashem can help me, that's when we see like Rebchaim Vital said, amazing salvation. But this is what Lel Pesach is about. This is what the Yom Tov of Pesach is about. And this is what you, the great Noshim Tzedkanis of our generation, can infuse into your home. Because you live with it every day. You live with this emuna. You were brought up with in your DNA this emuna pshuta that don't look at bad, look at good, see positive. And when a Yid looks and sees positive, he'll see Geula. He'll see only good. Share with you an amazing story about a fellow, a Haredi, a Chassidish Yid who lived in Eretz Yisrael. He couldn't afford an apartment in the typical Haredi community. So he had to move a little further to almost the Chiloini, non-religious community in Eretz Yisrael. And when he moved in, his neighbors were not overly thrilled to see a, a, a Haredi a, a from a guy moving into the neighborhood. They were afraid this was going to change the whole neighborhood. It's going to ruin the neighborhood. And when he starts moving in, he bring you know the the truck is out front bringing in the boxes. A, come, a non-religious man comes over to him and basically tells him, "We don't want you here. We don't want you moving in here. You're killing our neighborhood. We're gonna throw you. We're gonna get you out." And the Haredi said to him, "Listen, I can't afford the other neighbors. I'm here. I'm not going anywhere." And the Chilani man walked away and said, "Okay, we'll see." This Chiloni man sadly had an agenda to get this guy out of the neighborhood. One day, the Chiloni man is walking his dog and he sees this Haredi guy, this religious man, meet up with another religious yid. And he gives him an, a, a briefcase, an attaché case. So this Chiloni guy says, I got it now. He must be embezzling money. There must be fraud. There must be tax evasion. It must be a mess here. He runs into his apartment calls up the IRS of Eretz Yisrael and says, I have a guy on my block 
that you need to investigate for taxes. He's making money under the table. He's not showing. You got to do something about it. A few weeks later, this religious yid gets a letter in the mail from the government that says you owe 300000 in back taxes. We have proof. We have information that says you make more money than you, than you showed and you owe us hundreds of thousands of dollars. This yid was broken. Hundreds of, it doesn't have hundreds of thousands. The whole thing is bogus. And he went to lawyers and he fought it on the judicial level. Nothing. Couldn't get, they didn't want to hear it. They didn't want to hear a word. They were convinced that this yid has tons and tons of money and he's not paying taxes and they wanted to uh, throw him out of his apartment, collect the money no matter what. The yid didn't know what to do. So the yid went to the gay rebbe. Went to the gay rebbe. Goes to the gay rebbe, he shows the gay rebbe the letter, he tells the gay rebbe the story, the gay rebbe starts laughing. The gay rebbe says, trust me, it's all going to be fine, have a moon of Hashem. The yid says, have a moon of Hashem, they're going to take my apartment. The gay rebbe said, trust me, have a moon of Hashem, it's all going to work out. But the Yid said, Rebbe, I, I can't come back to my family without uh, you know, some proof that it's all going to work out. The Rebbe said, trust me, it's all going to work out. But the Yid pushed the Rebbe. He said, Rebbe, I, I need something. I need something to bring back to my family to show that, I, that it's all taken care of. So the Rebbe gave him an orange. So bring the orange back to your family. The Yid thought to himself, an orange? Well, what's an orange going to do? I'm in big trouble. I got the government down my neck over here. They're going to collect money that I don't have. And I'm going to bring my family an orange to, com- to comfort them. The Rebbe said it, the Rebbe said. He goes back home. He tells his family, the Rebbe gave me an orange. So his kids that were supposed to be sleeping in their bedroom heard an orange from the Gay Rebbe. They run out of their room and they're fighting each other to get a little piece of the orange. How big is an orange? And the kids are elbowing each other and pushing each other and knocking each other over because they're good chassidish kids. They want to get a shtick piece from the Rebbe. And they're all fighting over a shirayim from the Rebbe. While the kids are fighting over the orange, there's a knock on the door. There's a man standing there with a piece of paper. And he's watching. What's going on? He's watching kids fight over an orange. And he tells, he tells the woman, the wife who opened the door, he says, I must be in the wrong address. So the wife says, what are you talking about? He says, I was, I was sent by the government here to research, to check out a family that's supposedly evading taxes and that's very wealthy. I look around, I see kids fighting over an orange. An orange. What are they fighting over? These are rich kids. This is a family of someone who's, who's making millions of dollars and they're fighting over an orange. It must be this is the wrong house. There must be no case here. It must be this is all made up. And he ripped up the paper and he said the case closed. When a person has a munishlema, he'll see nisim. But it's hard. It's difficult. It's not easy. Leil Pesach is the night we let go. We say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, I'm throwing it all to you. All my tsaris, all my worries, all my anxieties, all you. You are going to take care of me. Of course, I'm going to do my hashtadlus. I'm going to try. I'm going to do as much as I can. But when I hit that wall, and we all hit it at some point in life, where there's nothing more we can do, we say, HaKadosh Baruch Hu, it's you. Ain't I Milvada? You make this happen. Because you ultimately run the world anyways. And I want to close with a story that should give us all an amazing amount of chizuk. Because after it all said and done, and after we're going to come into the Seder night with this new infused amuna, it's still hard when we don't see the happy ending in the story. What do we do then? I want to share with you a remarkable story 
by one of the G'daylem of the previous generation, Rabbi Pesach Frank. Rabbi Pesach Frank lived in Eretz Yisrael in the 1920s. And he was actually scheduled in 1929, in the summer of 1929, which was the same time with the terrible Chevron massacre, 1969, where 69 Jews were murdered by Arabs. Mitzvah Pesach Frank was scheduled to be in Hebron that Shabbos when the attacks took place. And the only reason why he wasn't there was because his grandson was born. His grandson was ultimately named Yaakov Frank, was born that, his bris was that Shabbos. And Mitzvah Pesach Frank and his wife stayed in Yerushalayim to be suddenly get the bris. And Mitzvah Pesach Frank used to tell his grandson Yaakov about this, how his bris saved him. Because if he wouldn't have went to that bris, he was scheduled to be in Hebron, and ultimately, who knows what would have happened to the great tzaddik, the great gadol, the great rabbi of Yerushalayim, with Pesach Frank. But Tzipesach Pesach Frank felt very comfortable with his grandson Yaakov, and he told him a story. He says, I want you to know I have terrible regret over something. He said, right before the massacre, there was a boy learning in the Slabotki Yeshiva in Hebron from America, from Philadelphia. And his parents were getting nervous about the situation in Eretz Yisrael. And his parents wanted him to come back to Philadelphia and leave Yeshiva. And the Rashiva, Moshe Motcha Epstein, called me up and said to me, we can't lose this boy. This boy is a superstar. He's amazing. He's going to be a godl in Klai Yisrael. If he goes back to America in 1929, there weren't many Yeshivas really then. We're going to lose him. And Moshe Motcha Epstein called him, and said, please call up the parents in America and convince them to have their son stay here in Hebron. So Psi Pesach Frank listened. He called up the parents in Philadelphia. He told the parents, listen, don't worry, Chavron is safe. We have connections. It's all going to work out. Well, please don't pull your son from yeshiva. Leave him in yeshiva. And the parents listened to Psi Pesach Frank. And you know what happened? That boy was murdered in the massacre in 1929. And Psi Pesach Frank was beside himself. The guilt that he felt every single day was unimaginable. He mamish felt like he killed this boy. And in 1929, when the story happened, until for years and years, Rebzi Pesach Frank would tell his grandson how he feels so guilty, he has such remorse for what he did. Fast forward to 1960. 1960. This Yaakov Frank was an IDF reserve. And as an IDF reserve, he was on a certain mission. It was a Wednesday night, he was on a mission. And he was stuck because the weather turned bad. It was pouring. They had to cancel the mission. So he was alone together with another fellow. Also a reserve from the army. They started talking. The other fellow asked him, what's his name? He said, my name is Yaakov Frank, grandson of Tzipesach Frank. And he asked him, well, who are you? He said, I'm a historian. I, I do history research about Israel in its early years, before and after the Hakamas Medina in 1948. So Tzipesach Frank's grandson told this historian this famous story, how Tzipesach how Frank felt so guilty over what he did with this Philadelphia boy, and how he felt responsible for the boy's death. This historian t- turns to Yaakov Frank and says, but you don't know the end of the story. He says, what end of the story? The boy died. That's the end of the story. He says, no, that's not the end of the story. Let me tell you what happened. After this boy died in Hebron, his father, who lived in Philadelphia, was very well connected in politics. 
And he made such an uproar in America about how the Jews are being treated under the British in Israel in those years. He made such a rash in England how he basically convinced the world that it was England's fault for not protecting the Jewish people that the, 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 the England itself had to send a new person to be in charge of Eretz Yisrael. A fellow named Arthur Wolkoff who was there in charge from 29 till 1937. And when he came to Eretz Yisrael, he was enamored by the Jewish people. He actually loved the Jewish people. He opened up migration from all over Europe into Eretz Yisrael in such amazing numbers. Especially after the rise of Hitler, parts of Germany and Austria, thousands and thousands of Jews were able to come to Eretz Yisrael because of this Yid. And that's why in 1948... There were 600,000 Jews in Eretz Yisrael. That number would have never been there if not for the fact that this Arthur Wolkoff came to Palestine in 29 because this father of this boy in Philadelphia made an outrage, was outraged. And he said, who knows if we would have won the battle in 48. The only reason why we were able to win in 48 was because we had so many people. The only reason why we had so many people was because this Arthur Wolkoff allowed so much migration of Jews, so much immigration of, of, of European Jews into Eretz Yisrael. When Ipsi Pesach Frank's grandson heard this, he said, wow. It took from 1929 till 1960 to see how Hashem has a cheshben for everything. Yes, we don't know why this boy had to die, but he did not die in vain. His death was not a waste. It wasn't just darkness. It led for the, for the, for, for the building of Eretz Yisrael for the yidden of, 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 of thousands of yidden to have a safe haven. For thousands and thousands of yidden to have a place to call their own. But the story doesn't end there. When the three Pesach Freight's grandson got off duty, it was Thursday, he came back home, he came back to town, he says, I gotta go visit my grandfather. I gotta tell him the story. And some of his family said, why don't you wait? Every Shabbos you go see him Shabbos morning. Wait till Shabbos morning. You'll tell him Shabbos morning. He says, no. I need to tell the Zayda. I got to tell him this piece of the story. He needs to know after so many years. He needs to know that he shouldn't bear that guilt and that, and that feeling. And he runs to his grandfather Thursday and he tells his grandfather the whole story. And the Pesach Frank felt like a ton of bricks were taken off of him. He heard the end of the story. He saw that there was a cheshbin. There was a reason to why this boy, this Nebuch, this young Ben Torah, who was a budding time with Chacham, had to die in Philadelphia, perhaps to build Eretz Yisrael today. And Shabbos morning, as he always did, this Yaakov Frank was en route to go visit his grandfather, like he did every Shabbos morning. And he meets up with his brother-in-law en route, and his brother-in-law says, don't bother. Zadie was nifter Friday night. Now can you imagine if this Yaakov Frank didn't push himself to go Thursday to tell his grandfather. Instead, he waited till sun, until instead, if he would have waited till Shabbos morning, Tzipetzach Frank would have died, never knowing, never seeing. This way, Tzipetzach Frank was at least saw the B'seif Yomav. He saw. He was able to see how it all made sense. We need to believe. We need to remember. We need to know. There's always a cheshbon. There is always a reason. Sometimes we see it immediately. Sometimes we see it like Pesach Frank, and sometimes we never see it.
But emuna pshuta means we believe and we know there's a reason and there's a good reason. And that's the avoid of Pesach. And that's what I, and that's what I feel is the achrayist responsibility of, of, of these wonderful Noshim Sitkanis that are listening, that are working, toiling, toying hard to make a beautiful Pesach. But more than anything, you need to infuse into your families and to those around you this emunah pshuta that you live with every day of your lives. That you believe and you know, just like our emois way back when, that it's all good, it's all positive. You need to teach and tell and educate your children and your grandchildren and those around you. That it's good, it's positive. The Yalkut Shemani tells us the same way Klai Yisrael left Mitzrayim. We too will get out of this Golos only B'shos Noshim Sitkanis. The amazing women of Klai Yisrael today who walk around living and feeling and thinking this idea. You can give it over on Lel Pesach at the Seder. I think it's such an apropos time to imbue into the family and into the Seder this feeling. Let it all go. Forget relying on other people. Forget relying on connections. Throw it up to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And more than anything, remember and realize there's always a reason. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a plan. HaKadosh Baruch Hu has a cheshben. HaKadosh Baruch Hu knows exactly what he's doing. B'Tashem B'Shchus, the wonderful Nashim Tzedkaniyas that are working very hard to prepare Pesach for their families. It's not easy. There's a lot of stress. There's a lot of work. There's a lot to do. And HaKadosh Baruch Hu is extremely proud of all the Noshim Tzitkanis and all that they do on a daily basis for their families and for Kala Yisrael. Mish Hashem, they should imbue in their families, infuse into the Siddharim, into the Yom of this Amuna. And Taka, we should be Zaycha just like then to see amazing Geula. B'shchus Noshim Tzitkanis Shebidoy Reinu of our generation. Mr. Shem, we should all be zayich to see benisim asidim ligal in the schos of all of you. Living emuna, feeling emuna, teaching emuna. Mr. Shem, this year should be the year the Nisan, where we're all nigalu, where we finally get to experience real geula. May it come quickly in our days. We should be zayich to see it. We should be zayich to have the geula shleima. We should be zayich to have Mashiach in our days. Mr. Shem, this should be the year where Kolesh Baruch Hu says enough. I heard and I felt and I saw the cries of so many women, of Noshim Tzedkanias. Kolesh Baruch Hu brings the Geula. May we all have a wonderful Yom Tif, an enjoyable Yom Tif, with our family and friends, meaningful, inspirational Yom Tif. We be zeichet to see the Geula in our days. Recording stopped.